The Dugout Premier League Preview Football Social Daily No new players, no new contracts, no guarantees about the future of Chelsea Football Club. The news could change the landscape of the Premier League and Chelsea's place within that. On today's show, we'll try and make sense of what this situation means from a player's perspective. The Blues are back in top flight action this weekend and we'll pick over the best of the action on the podcast as Manchester United and Spurs tussle for the top four. Everton continue their battle to beat the drop as they play host to Wolves and Arsenal will look to maintain pole position in their Champions League push against Leicester. This is The Dugout, the podcast from Sports Social featuring former top flight professionals. I'm Niall McCorn and joining me on the show today, former Everton and Burnley winger Trevor Stephen and Southampton legend Francis Benali. Hello gents, how are we doing? Yeah, very good, Niall. Thanks. Good to see you both. Good, thank you, Niall. Good to see you again. Great to have you on, guys. Always appreciate your company as ever. Now, in case you missed it, and if you've subscribed to this podcast, there's no way you would have missed this news. Or even if you've been living under a rock, you still probably would have heard about it somehow. Roman Abramovich, the Russian oligarch who owns Chelsea, has been sanctioned by the UK government this week with his assets, including Chelsea Football Club, frozen. Now, Chelsea are able to operate under a special licence granted to them by the government, which means that they are still allowed to play their remaining Premier League fixtures. The game still will be broadcast on the TV and anyone who's bought a ticket to a match or holds a season ticket will be allowed to attend those games. However, it is still huge news because it means Chelsea can't sign any players. They can't offer players new contracts. There are lots of different uh, permutations that come with the asset freeze that has happened to Roman Abramovich. Chelsea are hugely affected by this. For example, if Thomas Tuchel walks away, what happens next? We'll try and answer those questions. But first of all, Trevor, I wanted to get your reaction to the news because we knew that you know, Chelsea were going to be caught up in this situation that we see between Russia and Ukraine at the moment. But massive news, isn't it? Yeah, he's not. He's, of course, he's not the only oligarch uh, who's based in the UK now that's going to suffer sanctions. He's without a doubt the most public one. The one that we know the most about because he's been, you know, uh, within the Premier League since, I don't know how many years is it? 19. 19 years, right? Um I probably am sort of kicking myself for thinking I didn't think about it deeply enough as to what a sanction would mean. Uh, and a sanction basically means he can't earn a penny. Yeah, no problem. In the, in the UK, uh, which means he can't sell a burger at Chelsea, basically, never mind anything else. Uh, the, the size of that and the scope of that is, um, is frightening uh, if you are involved with Chelsea as an employee, and that could be a player, could be anything to do with the club. Uh, you're sitting here at this moment in time thinking, wow, I could, my world has just changed. Uh, you know, how do I, you know, do I get paid? Say they are going to get paid, the actual staff, but in the longer term, what's, what's going to happen uh, to those individuals? And then what's going to happen to the footballing side? Uh, it's like literally, tra- this is a trap door. It's like Chelsea have been standing on the floor, a trap door's open and, and feels like they've gone. Um, uh, and that may not be inaccurate, by the way. We don't know. Uh, how, how do they rebuild from, from this situation? Thomas Tuchel had actually said, when this first started, the the, uh, uh, the invasion uh, of Ukraine, that the reverberations were already being felt 
around the club by the players, by the staff, the uncertainty. And now it, this is, um, it, it's right there. You can't avoid it. And I don't know how they do it. I don't know how they're going to physically coordinate this change that has to happen. Well, from what we know from the statement, the players will be paid, the staff will be paid, but there's just no new capital. Um, they are allowed to do catering at the ground for the remaining Premier League games. So there'll be stewards, there will be food available. Um, the security will remain the same. It's just the other stuff like the club shop, like you say, you know, they're not going to be able to sell anything, any merchandise. It's all of the other operational things that go along with a football club that sometimes you don't even think of, as you say, Trevor, that could be impacted. It all, it all becomes, you know, if they've got no income coming in, right, and they've still got to pay um, for Lukaku, you know, to, to enter, and they've still got to pay for all these players, which runs into tens of millions, if not hundreds of millions, which they will have to spend every year. So who's going to pay for that? Where does it come from? You know, that, that to me is the big, big concern. Yeah, there are so many questions and you're right to bring them up. And um, we'll come on to sort of the player's perspective on this and around this in a second because you've got high profile players like Antonio Rudiger who's out of contract who can just walk freely away from the club but someone like Lukaku who's locked into a contract and probably on very good money what what happens there you know are we going to see a mass exodus we'll talk about that shortly but I wanted to to get your thoughts Franny on the power balance in the Premier League we know Chelsea are one of the big hitters in this division they're one of the biggest clubs in English football largely down to the investment that Abramovich has given them over £2 billion worth in the last almost 20 years. So do you think that we could see them fall away and, and cease to be one of those big blockbuster names in the top flight in the immediate future? Yeah, I, I, I think it's important to say, Niall, and I'm sure we all agree, you know, we're, we're talking about this from a football sense. There's quite clearly with what's going on over in Ukraine, uh, you know, a, a bigger picture and, and, and people's lives are being affected in a, a devastating way. Um, mm -hmm. From the football sense and at the club, I mean, blimey, how do you answer that? I mean, Trevor's just touched on so many different scenarios. There's a must be a huge amount of uncertainty at the club, uh, not knowing the future and, and, and what lies ahead. Uh, again, I don't know from Trevor's perspective, but I always knew that when in my playing days, when shall we say an, an, an off-field um, situation was going on or something was happening that was out of your control as a player. We used to just refocus, I think, within the dressing room to say, well, all we can do is just try and concentrate on our jobs and continue with that the best we can and try not to, to be distracted, if that's possible, by other events going out of your control. This seems to be something different. It's on a whole new level. The, 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 the potential fallout of what's going on now with these sanctions is, is potentially huge. And, uh, you know, I, I think, you know, Quite clearly, there needs to be a buyer come in as soon as possible to to alleviate the position that's there at the moment. That would then give some clarity, I think, moving forward. But in answer to your question, Niall, I think quite clearly, I mean, depending on how long, I guess, um, this situation and these sanctions are, are imposed on Chelsea, then I guess the longer that they're there, the more likelihood there is that it's going to affect Chelsea and their challenge of being third in the Premier League at this moment and you know competing as one of the big sides in in the Premier League. Mm, the announcement came on a match day as well much like Abramovich's decision to sell the club before the Luton game in the FA Cup before the Norwich game 
Chelsea find out and the Premier League only finds out 15 minutes before it was made public. So this is sort of moving at a rapid pace, you know, even after the announcement, everyone's trying to still pick the pick the parts up and put the pieces together. But I think you're right when what you say about the wider context of what's going on. Listen, we all love this game. It's an amazing sport and it keeps us gripped and entertained and hooked every season. But as one Chelsea fan put it really, really well, yes, they are feeling a bit sorry for themselves. Yes, it's it's depressing if you are a Chelsea supporter, but it's nothing compared to how lives are being changed um, in Eastern Europe at the moment, I think it's it's worth putting that into context for sure. Yeah, I think I think we're we're we're, we're analysing this um, because it's obviously a topic of the day, but it does um, fade into uh, thin air. It disappears almost in, in the bigger picture of what's going on across there in Ukraine. Um, if we are talking about the facts around Chelsea, if you look at how they operate as a business uh, over a period of a year. They turn over some of the region of four or five hundred million uh, pounds, mm-hmm. and that is with full-on trading, full-on trading. And you then look at the the, the turnover uh, as regards the salaries that are going out, which is the majority on the players. You know, eighty eighty-five percent of that could be going out in players' wages. Now, if you look, that that's unsustainable if you're not trading for a football club. And that is, it's unsustainable within three months. So th- there's urgent um, issues that that are really going to be unsolvable, I think, for, for Chelsea, unless they can can get that that sale pushed through and, and money sources come from elsewhere. But that, that break with Abramovich has to be made very, very quickly. They're going to need those new owners in, aren't they? You know, because quite clearly, I don't think probably any football club is you know, with the money that they, they make is going to generate to, to pay players' wages and especially somewhere like Chelsea, I would imagine. So it's it's quite clearly that, you know, Abramovich has been sort of funding that like many clubs do and they operate that that, that sort of way. But the new owners, whoever they, they may be coming in, you know, there's, there's talk about the sale proceeds. I think I, I saw somewhere are going to go to victims of, of this situation over in, in, in Ukraine. Um so yeah, the club needs to find a new buyer um, as soon as possible to enable themselves to move forward on every front. I think it's worth pointing out exactly what Trevor said earlier on in the podcast, which is that Roman Abramovich is one of uh, seven oligarchs that have been targeted by the government, but he is easily the, the highest profile of all of them due to his place in the Premier League. And Chelsea are part of British culture, of course, that you know they're a, a top football team, a well-known around the world club and they're the European champions so in terms of making a statement I think certainly the government has done that and when it comes to finding a buyer a lot of buyers no doubt um, would have been put off and deals would have been taken off the table due to these sanctions that have been put in place but the strange question is how how do you buy Chelsea at the moment if it's seized by the UK government I mean (laughs) do you buy the the club off the government because Abramovich isn't allowed to profit from it. So so many different questions. Um, And then there's the other argument of how much will it cost? And actually one government spokesperson said earlier on that uh, no undue harm will be done to Chelsea, Trevor. Um, And I asked this question earlier on this week and I said, undue harm is something that can be quite ambiguous. You know, undue harm to some people might mean, well, at least we'll have a football club to support. Undue harm to other supporters might mean, well, we can't be relegated from the Premier League, surely, because we we rightfully should be there. So 
there are, there are loads of questions on this. From a player's perspective, though, how do you think they might be feeling? Because as we touched upon earlier on, Rudiger out of contract. Someone like Lukaku isn't able just to, to get a move this summer because Chelsea aren't allowed to sell players. Um, if you were in this squad right now, what would your thoughts be? Well, again, I need to put myself back into um, a, a mindset of being a footballer uh, in a fairly protected environment or a very protected environment where you just get on with playing and uh, you don't really need to um, go outside of that bubble very often. Now, this situation is forcing players to uh, into uh, areas where they would never have thought they would have to go to and, and are thinking about the future of their, their playing careers, the, the possibilities that might happen at Chelsea. And it could affect uh, some players more than others. Uh, I personally think that the Chelsea, you know, it might take quite a while for them to get back to that feeling of being, uh, you know, a substantial global football club. Because, of course, all of this, you know, unintended consequences of being, being tarnished with the, that um, the association with Abramovich, hence into Putin in, in, in Russia. There's all sorts of negatives. So as far as the players are concerned, um, they have to get on with business. They've got to get on with winning football matches, uh, and really can't be a, can't afford to to do anything other than that. But that's not going to be easy. Uh, we're going to see over the next few days, aren't we? Exactly what that has has, has meant to them, um, as far as effect is concerned. Hmm. Difficult to predict. I've never yeah. I've never been in a situation. You know, I like don't think that. anyone has. I mean, and, and, and do you know what? The question for me is, what does this do for the legacy of Chelsea and those players? Because those trophies that have been won in the 19 years under Abramovich, I think 21 different trophies, 15 different managers. We're talking about an unprecedented period of success for that football club um, who, who obviously exploded internationally since the money came in from Abramovich. What happens now? Let's say Chelsea aren't successful again for another 20, 30, however many years, Franny. Are those achievements tarnished slightly because of what Trevor says, the situation that the club has inadvertently, albeit, found itself in? And will it be a situation like what we've seen, with no disrespect to them, like Blackburn, when Walker pumped all the money into Blackburn? They won a Premier League and then it it was never quite the same after that when the money dried up. Even in a much smaller scale, I think of uh, the famous story of, of Gretna Green in the Scottish leagues, you know, who had loads of money. They flew up the league. They got into the Scottish Premiership. The money, the plug was pulled and then they've never been seen again. So, I mean, what do you think might happen to the legacy of Chelsea in the sense of the Champions Leagues? They've won two of them, the Premier League titles, the trophies. Do you think that will be tarnished at all from what's happened? I mean, only time will tell, I guess. But uh, I, I think there's always been a, a, that connection and, and, and maybe to a degree... Uh, questions over the ownership uh, via Roman Abramovich and his wealth and things like that. And, that, and that's a whole new discussion, probably in itself. But um, I, I guess moving forward for Chelsea, that you know, as we touched on, they they need to find new buyers. Uh, I mean, there was talk, I think, only very recently about uh, was it Nick Candy? Is it Nick Candy? Um, I think yeah, his name sort Nick of Candy. and potentially. Yeah putting together some sort of consortium of investors. Uh, I, I, I guess it maybe depends on who's going to be the new owners of the football club and how soon that actually happens. 
and then I guess we'll see, you know, to what level they will be able to invest and fund, and you know, take Chelsea forwards as 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 they've been in a such a strong position in recent times as well. It's it, it's such an uncertain time. Do you know, know uh, this two billion that they're, that they're talking about? I mean, who who says it's got to be two billion? Really, uh, it could be it could be yeah. any figure. That, that you yeah. want. I mean, that's what Abramovich wanted, but he's not going to make no, any profit now. So make, it could be he's any, not make any anything profit any, anyway, because it, it's just impossibly impossible situation for him to try and make one penny out of this deal. It, it's just yeah, it's just not worth his his time. He's got he's got other things to to get on with. He's, he owns so many companies, ridiculous. But we're, we're going to see something from Abramovich, right? If in this current situation where we're at, and a lot of uncertainty in the world. Uh, who goes and spends two billion on a football club, right? And, and if they've got, they're, they're going to take a, a punt that the world is not going to go into World War Three, and, and who's going to do that at this moment in time? So that makes it more difficult. So I think Abramovich, well, actually, that price could come down quite considerably just to get it over the line. Uh, whatever happens, uh, Chelsea need that to happen, and Fran is absolutely right. That is the only thing that can that can alleviate uh, this downward spiral that that Chelsea are on. But I would expect Abramovich not to be sticking out in three weeks' time if no one's prepared to do a billion, do a, a cut price, get out of here um, uh, deal, and let Chelsea get on before there's too much damage done. I, th- I think it's clear there's going to be like a cut price deal on the table here, isn't there? It's got to be. You know, they, they can't be talking about those figures as you mentioned and. I guess the only maybe saving grace for someone like Chelsea is that maybe they're a club uh, in the capital that is of a size that will be of attraction to somebody out there. Yeah, that's one thing I was going to ask you, Franny, because you're a Southampton lad, played for the club, support the club, and uh, we've both had on the South Coast, despite being rivals, Portsmouth and Southampton are financial troubles. And so you'll know, much like me as a supporter of one of those teams, what it feels like to possibly not have a club when you wake up in the morning. So there'll be supporters of Chelsea all over the world now that will be worried about the future of their club. And it's not a nice feeling, something that we've got experience of. No, that's right. And, you know, there's so much as we've touched on, you know, things that have got to uh, develop um, the uncertainty of it all uh, as a supporter quite clearly you know you want the best for your club um, but I, I, I don't believe that, that you know I, I think with its stature and that's why the government I think have made the the, the, the allowance shall we say to to still trade as, as a business and a football club um, I, I can't see it. it's not just going to disappear I wouldn't imagine I'd be very very surprised as, as we just touched on there's going to be interest in a club like Chelsea for for potential investors, and um, but I, I understand what you're saying as well. As a supporter, you're bound to be worried. You're bound to have those concerns, and maybe there's almost that that moral dilemma that they might have as well as being a fan of a club that's got these kind of connections and sanctions upon them at the moment. It's it's, it's so many different factors in this. So you could you could almost talk for hours about it. I would imagine. Yeah, no, I, t- I totally agree. We won't do that. We won't talk for hours about it. We'll keep it. We'll keep it short and sweet with this last question, Trevor. Thomas Tuchel, top quality manager. He's won the Champions League. He's changed Chelsea recently into a team that are a force again in English football. Um, if he walks away, it, that's a distinct possibility. 
What happens then? Because they can't sign players or managers. Someone suggested earlier this week that Emma Hayes, who's the manager of the women's team, could possibly um, sort of jump over and and, and manage the men's team if that was to be the case, because the women's team are equally affected in this, by the way. So, I mean, what happens there if, if Thomas Tuchel decides to leave? If you were in his position... Would you? Would you leave? Would you stay at Chelsea? There's so many questions. Well, currently, currently I wouldn't be looking to, to do anything other than just concentrate on the team, getting results. And obviously when things develop, uh, you know, have, have another look at how the future does look, um, you know, in a broader sense. Uh, there's two ways of looking at it. You know, Tuko and all the um, everybody connected with Chelsea would be looking for that swift takeover if that doesn't happen, if we're getting towards the end of the season uh, and um, people are having to start to make decisions on their futures, then Tuchel will, will go. You know, But where would he go? There's only really the... Well, I've seen some Manchester United, United fans actually suggesting well, Manchester United, that, yeah, you know, that, that would be United. a remarkable turn of events if he left Chelsea and went to Manchester United. Obviously, he knows Rangnick from his time in Germany and United are looking for a manager. So that was something a supporter suggested on Twitter. But, you know, that's that would be a crazy turn of events. I think it would uh, take quite a series of events for, for Tuchel to leave Chelsea. Uh, where you can't see there's a way out or, or a way to compete at the top level because that's what he's about. Um, the only other place, as you say, is probably up to to Manchester, uh, to Man United, um, and try and you know steady that ship and develop it back to what it used to be, or you head across to Real Madrid or um, or Barcelona, you know. But that's that would not be what he wants to do. Everybody wants to 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 manage in the Premier League. What we've got to ask is what are going to be the knock on effects to the Premier League. Uh, of course, with Chelsea and Abramovich's money coming in, it started to that um, uh, inflation to the the market of what footballers earn, what they charge for tickets. Everything goes up, 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 up. Obviously, the Premier League in itself has been very much responsible for that as well, the growth. But the availability of money which came in with Abramovich has changed the landscape. So, what is the what's it going to be next for? for the English Premier League. Are we going to continue in this money matters more than anything scenario or are we going to get back to some basics? Probably money will end up winning, t- tends to do, but there's going to be maybe a, a bit of a watershed moment where things do change a little bit. Maybe players' salaries are not going to stay where they are. Maybe they're not going to go up anymore. Who knows? We will have a different a different perspective, I'm sure, on football over the next six months. Yeah, I totally agree. And uh, Franny's right in what he says. We could sit here and talk about this situation for hours. It's absolutely fascinating. I'm sure Chelsea fans are on edge right now, um, but that is the state of play at the moment. Abramovich sanctioned by the government. Uh, They've seized Chelsea Football Club. The assets have been frozen and we're not entirely sure what the next few days holds for Chelsea, let alone the next few weeks or months. But whatever the situation is, we'll keep you up to date on this podcast. As I said before, hit subscribe and that way you won't miss an episode of the podcast again. Chelsea are in action this weekend in the Premier League. They take on Newcastle United. We'll talk about that as well as some of the other big games in the top flight after this. The Dugout Premier League Preview Football Social Daily. The Dugout, Premier League Preview, Football Social Daily. 
Welcome back. This is The Dugout, the Premier League podcast featuring former top flight professionals. I've got former Everton and Burnley winger Trevor Stephen and former Southampton defender Francis Benali alongside me on the show. We're going to start this section by looking at some of the bigger Premier League fixtures this weekend. And we'll begin at Old Trafford where the 5.30 Saturday kickoff sees the Red Devils welcome Tottenham Hotspur in what's a big game in the top four race. Both of these teams want Champions League football, Franny. Do you think Manchester United are now in must-win territory if they're going to reach those Champions League positions because they're on the back foot at the moment? Well, certainly set up nicely this one, isn't it? Fifth against seventh as we're we're speaking today. Um, I guess there just seems to be a lot of negativity around Manchester United, don't there? A lot of talk, quite clearly being one of the biggest teams in the world. um, You know, they're going to draw that attention and and coverage, but... uh, yeah, they, they, they need to get back to some sort of consistency. I, I, I think probably sort of finding whoever the manager will be come the end of the season will, will help them moving forward. Um, but yeah, this, is, this could be a, a, a tough one against Spurs. And uh, as you touched on, you know, a game that United probably do need to sort of secure with maximum points to, to have some sort of hope of, of, of reaching that, that top four at the moment. Because you look at the table and Arsenal are just sort of looking pretty strong in that, that position at the moment, aren't they? And, and if you're sort of taking a, a, a sort of guess either way on either United or Arsenal at the moment, you, you'd have to say at this moment in time, Arsenal are probably looking that little bit stronger. Yeah, understandably so. We'll come on to Arsenal's game shortly. But as for their North London rivals, Tottenham, Antonio Conte's had a tough time of it, Trevor. There's no two ways about it. It's inconsistency, which is doing his head in. How does he solve it? It's his job, isn't it? And if he can do so and get a result against Manchester United, then they might be able to put the pressure on Arsenal. Yeah, he's had a mixed bag, hasn't he? Uh, And he's not used to that. He's used to getting some uh, run of games together. which um, you know developed the spirit of the team and the momentum of the team, and every time he gets momentum, it, it gets undone by the next performance. Uh, but of course, you know I, I was doing a commentary on uh, Tottenham Everton, and you know both sides were under extreme pressure, uh, and uh, going into the match, I think Conte, if he'd have lost that game, would have been the first time he's lost three. Uh, home games in the Premier League or anywhere indeed in, in world football where he's, where he's uh, been managing and they tore Everton apart so going to Man United uh, going to Man United is is the perfect time for them um, Manchester United look like uh, a bunch of strangers playing together you know hoping, hoping that they're going to do well but not actually having a method on how to do it um, it's almost to the point of when a Man United game happens and the team takes to the to the pitch, it is um, it, it's kind of knocking down the the performances are knocking down the reputation of the club as being this fantastic, well run, um, brilliantly put together football team, uh, and they're far from that. And I, I think they're going to really struggle against Tottenham because. You know, how, how do you go from the performance against Manchester City where they pretty well gave up um, as a group to, to, to try and win the game? And now they've got to go back after a lot of pressure from their own fans uh, and a lot of criticism again from the media and try and pick up a performance against a team who have played considerable amount of games less than them 
have got them in their sights and have just won 5 0 and Harry Kane's on fire. Uh, I, I just think this is a this is a three pointer for for Tottenham Hotspur, I really do. Um, and, and Manchester United are a shadow, an absolute shadow of what what we consider to be a, a Manchester United team at this moment in time. It's a mess upstairs beyond Ranić. Ranić is temporary. That's a that's a mess. That's a temporary measure. The team look dysfunctional, uh, dispirited, and and, and sulkers and. Shruggers of shoulders, and you know, if I was a Man United fan, I'd be, I, I, I would not be in a happy place at this moment in time. So I expect, I expect Tottenham to go up there and turn them over. I really do. High energy, um, you know, satisfying what the manager wants. Consistency. Uh, I think they've had enough of that now, letting the manager down. I think they'll go and, uh, as I said, get the points at Man U. Well, who will be in a miserable spot? Come uh, around about 8.15 on Saturday night, we'll find out as Manchester United hosts Tottenham at Old Trafford. Let's move on to the club you just mentioned, Trevor, the club you used to play for and you have a lot of fondness for. You saw them lose quite handsomely to Tottenham. Their next test is at Goodison Park Sunday, 2 o'clock against Wolverhampton Wanderers. Uh, Tottenham thrashed them. There's no two ways about it. A couple of questions here. How bad did they look? Do you think it will improve? And just how much trouble were your former side in? Uh, horrendous on all of those things. You know what position they find themselves in, um, what the performance was like, uh, you know, all, all of it. It was absolutely rock bottom. I actually, actually think they've hit the rock bottom situation. The only thing that they've got going for them is they've got eight of the last thirteen matches uh, are at home, but the confidence level is is it's just not there. It's not it's not even on the table. Um, I don't like really to pick out one player, but as an example, Michael Keane has, has folded as a footballer at this moment in time. And I feel for him because he cannot get a performance out of himself. Um, he should be a leader, an England player in recent times. Uh, and if you are struggling, you want that kind of player to be the leader. And he's not been able to, to find that within himself. You look to Seamus Coleman, the, the, the captain of the club. Seamus' legs have gone, unfortunately. Uh, he's still got the heart and soul and spirit, but he would have to be playing in a very good team, in my money, to be effective. And he's playing in a poor team. So things start to show up. Uh, this is a result of many years of poor recruitment. And, and beyond that, probably poor manage, management choices, going all the way through to the to the top of the club. Uh, I'm worried, extremely worried. Uh, Frank is putting on a um, you know a sturdy performance uh, as the coach, but and I, I still think he's the right man. You know, don't get me wrong. Even if they went down, I'd still think he was the right man. But uh, with those eight games, we can only hope and pray as Evertonians that uh, they take enough points. Uh, you know, but I've no idea what kind of performance we're going to get. I think they've got Damari Gray coming back. Um, and Ben Godfrey, okay? Now, when those two are going to, in all due respect, when those two are going to be your saviors, right, uh, I think, you know, we're struggling. We're struggling. Because, you know, they're good, decent players who've played pretty well this season, to be fair to them. But for them to be coming in and expecting them to change and make the difference, uh, I think that that's hoping for a lot. 90 minutes seems a long, long time for Everton players at the moment. I was looking at their fixtures as well, guys. I mean, in April, they've got West Ham, Man United, Liverpool and Chelsea to play. I mean, that, that's 
you know, some games that they've played. How, how many of them at home, Franny? Have you got that? Uh, I think there was only maybe a couple at home out of those. Right. Uh, not certain, but there's, but there's eight home games left for Everton this season, as Trevor says, and that's got to be the difference maker, isn't it? I mean, got to be. it has to be for Everton. Oh, you know, that, that home form, that support from the crowd, you know, what's worrying for any Evertonian is that there's only been one Premier League victory in the last 10. And But I agree with Trevor, you know, like I think Frank is going to do well there and, and, and turn things around. But I think it might be a case for Everton this season that, the position they're in and, and the form they're, that they're in at the moment, almost like just getting across the line and hoping that there's probably three other teams in the table that are worse than them this season. Absolutely, Franny. That's a saying we've had on this podcast a number of times that, you know, it's more likely going to be the fact that there are three teams that have been worse than Everton this season, whether that's by luck or fortune or whatever is for other people to decide. But I do think that um, it's a huge task for Frank Lampard um, and they need a result this weekend against Wolves. I think there's uh, questions over how damaging relegation would be to Everton Trevor as well with the new stadium on the way and obviously uh, Mr. Usmanov, who is a Russian man who's put plenty of money into Everton recently. Some of the sanctions we've seen that we were discussing with Abramovich have affected him. Uh, sponsorship deals with the club. It feels like a real gloomy time for Everton, doesn't it? Oh, really, really bad. Really, really bad. And, and uh, obviously the conversation has gone towards, OK, we'll go to the championship and get up. Come back, refresh, go again. Um, take the pain for a year. There's no guarantee of going down and coming up. And if you look at the, the kind of surgery that would need to be done to the, the playing staff to get the kind of player who's going to get you out of the championship, that that is just going to be a job in itself. You know, on, on the financial side, obviously, that looks like it's going to change. It could hurt. Um, I'm not going to look beyond Frank Turner in this round. I think they need four wins. You know, if you think about 34 points as being the sort of safety margin or the safety points tally, then that's four wins for Everton. So four out of 13, and you would think, oh, that must be doable. But what they're in such a bad place uh, as, as, a, as a team, then, you know, I do fear. Yeah, we'll have to wait and see what happens. Massive afternoon for Everton at Goodison Park on Sunday, two o'clock kickoff as Wolves are the visitors. Kicking off at the same time at Stamford Bridge, Chelsea welcome Newcastle United. Now, we were speaking about Newcastle in very similar terms to what we were just discussing Everton in, because not so long ago they were in the bottom three. They were looking nailed on for relegation. Hasn't quite been the case since January, it has to be said. Obviously, Chelsea, we've done plenty of talking about them on the podcast. So let's just focus on Newcastle for the time being. Um, a couple more wins, Franny, and they could be secure in the Premier League for next season, which is a, a remarkable turnaround from where they were. Oh, quite incredible, isn't it? I mean, their last defeat in the Premier League was against Manchester City back in mid-December, wasn't it? So their, their turn of form and results has been very impressive. Uh, Eddie Howe has done an incredible job there and... You can certainly link towards the signings that they've made and the, the new ownership and the money that's been made available for those signings to come in has, has had a, a, a positive impact. Uh, so yeah, you know, Newcastle at the moment, the, the, the results, the form they're in, the confidence, they're in a good place. Uh, and most certainly, yeah, if they were to get another two wins, 34 points I think would certainly be more than enough to, to, to stay up this season. I don't, I don't think they're looking down anymore, are they? Newcastle are not looking down. They're, I think Eddie Howe's um, 
needs two wins right out of 12 matches. Uh, he's going to get that. He's, he's going to get that. So what? how do we build? How do we build for, for next season? Let's start to uh, get keep that momentum that, that has been building uh, and start to have a bigger, broader vision uh, you know, towards next year. Of, of course, he can't make um, any, any sort of steps into transfer markets and all of that, but it's just a, a sense of being what we're going to, let's build for next year, let's go for next year. And I think that's what Newcastle are doing now. You know, that everyone loves watching Newcastle at St. James's Park because the atmosphere is brilliant, but it could turn sour. And we saw that over the last few years. But when you're winning, it's as good a place as anywhere to play your football, you know, and it's now somewhere that, that players around the world are aware of and they'll have no shortage of, of people queuing up the door to get into there next year. Just building on what you said about Eddie Howe, Franny, how much credit does he deserve? Because like you suggested, many people naturally are going to point to the money they've spent in January as the reason for their improvements and why that they're ultimately looking like they're going to stay up. But I don't think you can overlook the difference in coaching as well. I think that needs to be taken into account. Yeah, most definitely. I think what what's interesting in a way is, you know, again, from uh, two men that uh, that followed two different South Coast teams, we've, we've seen Eddie <laughs> up close in his time at Bournemouth and you know, how the Bournemouth side played their football. I, I, I guess at times we've seen that quite different to what we've seen at Newcastle in the short time that he's been there. Um, and this is going to be an interesting one as Trevor speaks about sort of building for the future and potential players that come in in the summer maybe. Uh, which way Eddie's going to go? And quite, I guess it's quite clear his philosophy and maybe how he, he likes to see the game played. You've got to give him a huge amount of credit. Yes, there's an impact that the players have had coming in, but you can't underestimate the the impact that a manager and, or new head coach coming in with their staff has on a group of players sometimes. You know, sure, Trevor's experienced it. You know, you you, you you can be sort of like struggling as a group or a team and not not performing maybe to the levels that you're quite capable of. And then you have a new management setup come in and they just somehow manage to get things better from you or set you up differently in a way um, that a previous yeah. manager might have done. Things like Joe Linson playing centre mid, Franny, is a great example of that. Oh, because, you know, he's been a revelation. Yeah, absolutely. His position's changed. And it's just one of those things where Newcastle fans will tell you this. The things like moving Joe Linson into the middle of the park is something that only a coach could achieve rather than, you know, your bank balance. Do you know what, do you know what actually happened there in Newcastle? If you're one of those players... You, you've stopped fighting relegation and you're now, as an individual player, you're now playing for your future. You want to be at Newcastle United next season. Right? And if you look across those players, they've all turned the corner about being a little bit nervous on the ball, taking responsibility, um, you know, being the positive uh, effect to the team that they, they could be and, and should be. That wasn't happening when they're fighting relegation. Now they're looking forward. Now they're looking to, to next season. Now they're going to run the extra bit. They're going to put the extra tackle in cause. They want to impress Eddie Howe and they want to be there next year because they know they're going to be up. They absolutely know it. Yeah, yeah. And don't even talk or think about relegation. It's all about, I want to be part of this, this journey that Newcastle United are on. Do you know what? Just looking at this fixture on paper, Chelsea against Newcastle, what a Premier League season we've had in different ways, you know, with a title race between City, Liverpool and Chelsea and then Manchester United as well, signing Ronaldo in the summer. And it was just so exciting for the start of the season. Who would have thought 
that here we are, early March, and Chelsea, we might be worried about whether they'll be in the Premier League next season, whereas Newcastle United seem like they might be all right. It's the, the weird and wonderful world of football. Crazy stuff. Sunday, 2 o'clock at Stamford Bridge, Chelsea against Newcastle. And talking about players wanting to be somewhere... Arsenal are going really well under Mikel Arteta at the moment. And if they finish fourth, which looks like they're on course to do, they could well be attracting uh, some fresh talent in the summer if they do finish in the Champions League. They host Leicester at the Emirates Stadium this weekend. Speaking of Mikel Arteta, Franny, he was ridiculed at times during his early tenure, even at the start of the season when they lost three in a row. They were, I think, as short as 20 to 1 to get relegated. This is Arsenal we're talking about. But now they're fourth and they're beginning to build something. I've seen some arguments online and on the radio this week about whether fourth is an overachievement for Arsenal this season. What's your take on that? Do you think that's a fair thing to suggest or not? I I think we've seen with Arteta that this is something um, that's been a progression over a period of time. Um, And they've almost like, with everything else going on and all the dramas and excitement around other other games and other teams and interest in them, it's almost like they've crept up out of the spotlight and sneaked into this top four position, isn't it? But you can't underestimate the the, the, the great job he's done. Um, I think he's got a core of young players there that is, you know, quite clearly has the ability. Um, they've they've just got to sort of I think find that way of winning games, being more consistent in certain ways. Um, and, and, and growing and developing. And I think somebody like Arteta is, uh, is, is a man to do that. You know, quite clearly having worked with Pep, um, he came with some sort of quite, quite glowing references, I think, knowing that he wanted to be his own man in that position. And, um, you know, taking the big decision with Aubameyang as well. I mean, that's, that, that's, a, that's a big call, wasn't it? And uh, certainly at the moment, it, it, it doesn't seem to be coming back to bite them at all. You know, with Arteta... He's done exactly what you said. He's made big decisions. And, you know, he has been a laughing stock at times and people have used it as a stick to beat him with. And I'm guilty of being one of those people. I didn't think he was up to the task. And yet he's made those brave decisions. He's trimmed the fat. He's got rid of the superstar striker who wasn't firing in Aubameyang. He's bought the goalkeeper in who everyone said wasn't good enough and got relegated twice with Sheffield United and Bournemouth. And he's been a revelation in goal. Aaron Ramsdale. Leno was an all right keeper, but Arteta said you're not playing well enough. You're out and we'll bring this new lad in. Uh, Kolasinac is gone. David Luiz, Willian, all of these players that Arsenal had, he's got rid of them all. And he's brought through the youth, the Sackers, the Smith-Rose, Martinelli, all players who obviously Arsenal did have before he came in, but he's utilised them to their full potential. And I guess my point is, Trevor, that it shows that if you're patient and you trust a process and you trust a manager and you give them a project, even at a giant club like Arsenal, you can start to see the dividends of that, the rewards of that. I know it's a bit early yet. They haven't finished fourth yet. But at the moment, it looks like we could see that that profit. Uh, yeah, I think he's done a great job. I think I think when he first got it, um, it didn't feel like it was a sort of... Uh, you know, Arsenal hadn't sort of calculated or were calculating that they were going to get a chip off the block of, 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 a, of a Guardiola, right? It was akin to Solskjaer. For, for a lot of people, wasn't it? You know, how is Solskjaer qualified to manage Manchester United? Arsenal, you know, are a huge club and Arteta's never managed before. This is his first job. It's crazy to think of it like that. Yeah, and when you saw him, when you saw him sitting next to Guardiola when he was assisting, he would only ever sort of have a little whisper in Guardiola's <laughs> ear. And, you know, he'd never be on his feet. So where do you, how do you go from that to um, being, you know, the front man for a football club the size of Arsenal? 
Uh, and at the start, I wasn't getting it. I wasn't believing in it. But he did have a lot of the baggage of the the, the squad that he inherited. Um, I didn't think he could sustain this uh, strength he was showing in the early stages. I thought that was just because it's new to him. But he's shown a lot of character, a lot of resilience, a lot of clarity in his own way of doing things. And I do see a lot of Guardiola has rubbed off on him. Uh, his intensity on on the on the byline, you know, we saw him had an assist in the you know, last weekend against Watford. Yeah, um, you know, he's 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 living every minute of it. And I think uh, if you're not if you want to be a successful modern day manager, you have to commit to that one hundred percent. Arteta has definitely done that. He's shrewdly um, stuck, you know, to his principles and got rid of the players he thought were not going to add to the, either the spirit or the, the performance and hence the results for his first team. Uh, and he's given the, the pathway to the younger guys. And they're great, aren't they? I mean, Saka, you know, your Martinelli's, your Smith Rose, who have come in and they want, they want to be at Arsenal, these lads, for their careers at this stage. And that can change. But that's what they want to do. And they're doing brilliantly. Do you know what? I think, just finally on today's show when it comes to the power dynamic of the Premier League we've touched on Chelsea so much throughout the program and I think that with Arsenal the way they fell from grace and tumbled into a side that last season didn't qualify for Europe for the first time in 25 years um, with Chelsea possibly ebbing away Manchester United not at their best Tottenham still very flaky could this be a chance, Franny, for Arsenal to kind of re-announce themselves as a top force in English football again and say, this is the Arsenal of, of 15, 20 years ago. We're back and, and we're here to make a statement. Well, well as we're speaking, you know, we're, we're praising the work that's going on at Arsenal and Arteta and how they're doing at the moment. And they're sat fourth and they'll be very pleased to be there. As we know, there's an awful lot of football and things are going to pan out and there's going to be those twists and turns between now and the end of the season. Of course, they've got to be taken as a serious contender uh, this season. Who knows how the current situations are going to affect Chelsea moving forward for the rest of this season and even beyond that uh, into next season and then more in the future. So, yeah, with, with these power dynamics shifting a little bit between clubs and the uncertainty at Manchester United... Why not? Um, they're, they're certainly ascending at this moment in time and who's to say that they can't continue that for the rest of the season. So, yeah, very much in the frame for for getting some sort of honours and, and, and potentially that Champions League spot for next season. Arsenal against Leicester, 4.30 kickoff on Sunday. There are loads of games on Sunday this week. Some of the ones we didn't touch upon, uh, Franny's side, Southampton take on Watford, Leeds against Norwich, West Ham against Villa. And on Saturday, the early kickoff is Brighton-Liverpool, followed at three o'clock by Brentford against Burnley. Right, that's it for today's episode of The Dugout. Franny, Trev, it's been absolutely brilliant talking to you. Fascinating episode. I'm really excited to see what happens between now and the end of the Premier League season. The guys will be back on the podcast again in the very near future but if you like what you've heard today why not hit the subscribe button and that way you won't miss another episode of the show again that's it from us we'll catch you again next time the dugout premier league preview football social daily